listening to the British GT Fan Show. Remember, it's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, redistributed, reproduced or used in any form without permission. For more information or to get in touch, please visit our website www.bgtfshow.co.uk. Thanks for listening. This is Motorsport Radio. Hello and welcome to the British GT Fan Show on Motorsport Radio. For all the latest on the 2020 Intelligent Money British GT Championship and more. Coming up on today's show, we've got the very latest GT news, part two of our 2018 British GT season review, and we discuss the results of the British GT fans poll of the Ultimate GT3 and GT4 cars. The British GT Fan Show is hosted by Sarah Smith, alongside resident GT geek Nicholas Smith, and Andrew Brightman and Gaz Jacobs of the British GT Fans. Last week, it was announced via British GT's Twitter that the SRO are beginning a fortnightly official SRO Motorsport Group podcast called The Pit Lane. It's going to be fronted by pro commentator David Addison, and the first episode is out now on Spotify and iTunes. It's nice to see other podcasts getting started. What do we think about this? I personally think it's a, a good idea to promote the SRO's broad range of race series. It's a nice bit of competition. It's yeah, you know, it's it's well it's it's well done. It's you know, I've listened to it, it's fairly good. Um I I welcome them, Jarcia. I do. As Gaz said, competition is always welcome. Um, so it's good to see the SRO doing something for the motorsport fan like me, where I consume the vast majority of my motorsport in audio form. I spend a lot of time on the road, so watching live streams in YouTube, etc., just isn't isn't good for me. Um, what I will say is, I I sat down to listen to to the first episode. Got about. 10, 15 minutes in. Um, wasn't wasn't massively captured by it, but then it's the first one for them. So we'll listen to a couple more episodes and, and, and see how they develop. When I was listening to the, the initial interview with Stefan Rattel, that was nice to hear the big boss speaking up for, you know, all of, all of his series and giving a a heads up on what's going to go ahead in the when we actually get back to racing. Very, very insightful, I thought. I think it'll be nicer to get something that's a bit of a broader view as well, because, I mean, our focus is very much on the British GT side of things, and we do cover the odd bit that might have an impact within us, but to have something that covers the wider range of things is only a good thing. And as we've said, yeah, it's, it's competition in a sense, but there's plenty of room for everyone, and as long as you know, no one's trying to be a carbon copy, then it's all good. And I personally wish them luck with it and hope Absolutely. it does well. Absolutely. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. The, the, the more highlight we have on the SRO range of series, I think the better for us and the, and the British GC Championship, in my opinion. The other thing I will say is they tend to be a lot more, from what we've seen so far, a lot more interview-based than we are, whereas we give more of an opinion. So... There's there's different strokes for different folks. Yeah, I, I that, that I suppose that could change uh, with with time. I mean, more you know, news stories they manage to have to get have to get through. 
But as I say, I wish them all the best and look forward to hearing more stuff. Can't be a bad thing having another show based on all anything to do with GT, really. So 90R1, to have something based on all SRO's channels and all, all their amount of series they have. It's, it's just all good to bring bringing more attention to GT racing, which is, as we know, the best racing in the world. Today, McLaren have announced that they're pulling the plug on their driver development program for 2020. They've said that the decision has been made to preserve the integrity of the program, which has been severely compromised with social distancing restrictions and the entirely necessary imposition of a compressed racing calendar for the 2020 season. The programme is set to resume from the start of the 2021 season in British GT with the current intake of drivers Katie Milner, Harry Hyatt, Michael Benyahir and Alan Valente all being retained. Tolman Motorsport, meanwhile, are hopeful of still entering two cars in the Intelligent Money British GT Championship for 2020, with potential for an upgrade to GT3 class if customer demand is there. But the rugby-based team will need to secure new customers for this year to complete the 35-car grid at Alban Park in August. I was a bit surprised by this, to be honest. I mean, whilst yes, it's a compressed calendar, we do still have the full amount of racing. And going forward, I don't expect things to be, in terms of the other activities, media-related and and other sort of engineering activities and this and the other, I don't expect them to go back to normal. I think remote working has become a much more a much greater part of what we do. So they could be using this season to learn the skills for the new world rather than for the world that was and probably won't come back. But it's good to see that they have confirmed that they are going to keep with the four drivers that they've got and they're going to go with them for for 2021. Okay, it puts their careers a year behind schedule, but everything's up in the air now anyway. The people that I do worry for are the Tom Motorsport guys because if they can't find people that are willing to part with a substantial amount of money to go racing on short notice, then the Tolman team it's it's gonna be looking pretty bleak for them financially for for the next for the next six, seven months. Yeah, I I think the bad news for the team, although I don't I though I don't think that they will have much trouble in, in at least getting one of those cars out on track. You know, so we should we should we should see Tolman back out at least for this year, at least see one car. Um it's good news on for the drivers, they at least at least you know they're being retained and will have an opportunity to race next year with the same development program. The only thing, the only thing I can think of that that might have really influenced this is the fact that two of them are um, outside of the UK and Europe, and they might have to keep on travelling back and forth. If there's a second outbreak, you know what I mean, they might have to go back home. Um, so there is that, but it's. It, I would. I am hopeful that they, we might. We would see them back with Tolman in 2021. So there's nothing for the current for the current four drivers to try and raise the budget to complete the season with Tolman this year. Then they get another years with the racing, fully experienced again back into the DDP program again. It's a bit late in the day to be going to hunt for sponsorship. Wealthy individuals that see this as an opportunity to go and race on the big stage. The only place they've got to go to find the money is to their own bank accounts. The guys that we're looking at here, they're not going to have 
couple hundred thousand pounds sat in the bank to go racing with, are they? It's also the fact that they might have a you know, your rich parent that might be able to uh, fund maybe you know at least half a season. But then also, if Tom had got to look for drivers, these drivers are going to have to look for budgets as well. So they could throw their hats in trying to find a budget to could finish the season off with other drivers. You might find there's wealthy individuals out there with the money in the bank account to to go and go racing, but these these guys in in this probably haven't got the sort of money you need for a season of racing. I think their only real hope would be that somebody comes along and says, can you run me a GT4 car and with Katie as my pro or with Harry as my pro. So they might find paid work driving the cars. Plenty yeah, of that's possibilities. Good. Plenty of possibilities to go on with. So Tolman are a good team. They've been around for a good couple of years with experience of running the McLaren programme. With Tolman saying the possibility of running GT3, we're at the maximum of GT3 cars, aren't we? So I'm not too sure how that will work. If it's assumed take- we don't lose any. You could take a GT4 out and put a GT3 in. It's just a maximum of entries. It's not a maximum of GT3 cars. And as I say, it assumes we don't lose any. Yeah. Of course, a lot of these these wealthy guys that are, that, that are doing this are, are doing it with money that they're earning from their businesses. And if their businesses are struggling in the wake of, of the situation, if their businesses are being forced to make redundancies, even if they've got the money in their bank account, the optics of going racing whilst you're laying off a thousand builders or a thousand people that make food or a thousand people that fix cars or or whatever industry it is that you are in, then the optics of doing that, they're not going to be brilliant that the boss is going playing while the the people that are helping him make his money are... are going hungry. Just as a counterpoint, this year I think we'll be okay. Drivers, drivers will have budgeted. You might be looking at problems for next year. That, it's not about budget, though. It's about image. I understand. And the other question is if, if somebody has a mahoosive crash at Donington Park, are they going to have the money to repair the car or are they going to say, right, I'll have to sit out the last two rounds? so that the team has got the money to repair the car. Well, we're already looking at that situation with the close proximity of the three races in August. So if someone, so if someone has a massive crash in Alton Park and can't get a spare car for whatever reason or can't get parts due to restrictions and stuff like that, they might have to miss out rounds in August or September anyway. Yeah, Im- images... You know, if, if your if your if your company's having some trouble and you're having to lay off people, I think yeah, you, you're right. You, you'd have some you'd have some image troubles um, or some uh, reputation troubles. Let's say probably you're looking at maybe one, two hours dropping out, maybe in my opinion. So the other issue we do have is the fact that we've got another two cars that need to be filled up. Is it still to go along with the Century BMWs? Uh, the Stella Audis still need filling up so there's more drivers we're going to nag on more options to look for to try and fill these, fill these seats up I think this is going to be more of an issue for Stella and Sentry than it is for Tolman because look back last year the year before there's been Tolman cars in it for in it for the big pot at the end of the year both years I mean Sentry won it two years ago Stella okay, they had bloody good run yet last year but they haven't won a title yet and they've been in the championship for three years. So 
if you're looking to spend your money going racing, who are you going to go with? Are you going to go with Stella, who are a bloody good team and achieved fantastic results last year but haven't got the big pot sat in the lobby? Or are you going to go with the likes of Tellman, who are, well, they are running the manufacturer's development program. The fact that it's been put on hold, they're still, yeah, we're the people McLaren paid to run the cars. The driver coming in, driver coming in thinking, thinking further ahead, as long as Tom and Keenan McLaren driving the development program, they know next year they will have to go find a different car to drive. Or pay Tom to run him a GT3 car. I was about to say, or, or, or ask Tom to run another car. They've done it before, haven't they? This might depend on their deal with they got with McLaren anyway. They might, they might be just contracted to run the four drivers at the time. But then we, we, we don't know. We don't know. It's going into contracts and stuff. We don't want to go down that route. Bentley Motorsport have also announced today that they are withdrawing their factory effort delivered by M Sport in the SRO run Intercontinental GT Challenge Series for 2020. The crew-based manufacturer have said that it's to allow the brand to focus on supporting their customers during a compacted season and that the factory programme will resume in 2021. Both the brand and M-Sport are hoping to contest the Spa 24 hours, but that would be with M-Sport as a customer rather than as the factory team. So let's discuss this one then, guys. It's good that they are still going to run at the 24. I mean, have the Spa 24 hours nowadays without those, without those M-Sport Bentleys would be a crying shame in my opinion. The fact that they are going to support their customers still good idea. You know, what I mean, they'll still accrue points for the for the for the title, but how many points the customers will accrue for them is another matter. But again, I think it's just like the McLaren story. I think we need to just kind of accept the fact that they'll be they won't be here this year, but hopefully we'll see them back next year. It's a decision that, to a certain extent, I don't understand. They've had their best start yet to a championship. And they're leading the championship. There's only four races in the championship. So they're sort of knocking on to, to potentially a very good result. They've done well in the other two races that we've done before. America is a big market for them. And I did note that they are trying to do a deal with uh, KPAX Racing to run two cars at Indianapolis to give them a better chance of getting points. But you have less control over it when it's customer racing. And this this, this could be the year that Bentley take a, a massive title. Now, I understand that they've announced further redundancies at the, at the factory today. But customer racing and the, the factory program, it's, it's a profit center for them because they have sponsors that pay to be on the car. They're advertising their car to other other teams that, are, that potentially wanted to, to, to race it. They're showing what they can do in terms of themselves, which means that people that are looking at buying the cars know they're going to get support from people that know what they're doing. As I say, I don't necessarily understand it. If a deal can be done in some way that M Sport can continue to campaign the rest of the series as M Sport rather than as Bentley, um, then I think that's going to be the the solution that they're going to they're going to need to go with, because all of their good work is going to be undone by sitting out this season. I think. And I, I've I think I think it's I think this story is a bit straightforward. If you know what I mean, it's um, 
it's not there's not much else you can do i mean the fact that they the fact that they uh, the statement has been released saying they uh, this is this is a bentley decision only it's no it's not down to the volkswagen ag group putting a uh, a restriction on spending or anything like that is it is is more well gives me more hope that this will re- gives me more, more hope that this will return than than if it was had come straight from headquarters in germany the next item in this episode's podcast is that british gt have also released the revised 2020 british gt support calendar this is still provisional at the moment but f3 and the genetta g40 races will be appearing at all rounds the Clio Cup at everything other than Alton Park, and we'll also have the French Clio Cup at Brands Hatch, as well as Porsche and GT5 making appearances throughout various rounds. It's nice to see we've got the full support series to go along with us as well, to have Formula 3, which has been supporting British GT for so many years now. Good to see them back. And to have the new Porsche series, which also is uh, BTCC as well, so we're sharing it with them. Is to see the new Cayman series, it'd be nice to see that. Bit more variety with the um, GT cars. Genetta's always are interesting to say the least, especially the GT5s and the new Clio Cup series. Obviously, that's replacing the one that used to be on the Toka package. Now come across to us to replace the minis. As long as we get a decent, good sized grid, that's going to be a good little series to watch. It's a healthy looking package. Uh, Formula Three has been with us for quite a while, as of the the G40s and the GT5s. Losing the minis as a mini owner is a shame. But gaining Clio Cup and Porsches in in return is uh, is is welcome. There's a bit of bit of variety there as well. So it's um, there's a lot there to like. I'm going to agree with the uh, my my colleagues here and say welcome one, welcome all. Good to see Clio's with us, replacing the minis, which I always liked. But you know they're a bit crash happy. I know the Clio's can be as well, but you know maybe you do maybe realise. So you do realise in the media centre we refer, refer to the old Keo Cup as the Clidiots because they have they bounce off the treble. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think any any good tour, touring car series you could probably apply that rule to as well though. You know, it's good close racing. That's what we want to see. And as their um, social feeds will will show, if as fans can't get to the tracks. You know, this the the racing will be just as good, even though we haven't got crowds there. You know, I, I the, ra- the racing, the racing was good with the minis, though. Yes, it was close. They were mini touring cars, so and with lots of different types of drivers, it, the racing was going to go down the rate of having contact. Obviously, it's probably got a bit too much in certain situations, but it's seems the way of the world with a bit of contact in motorsport nowadays. So it happens. Don't think we should pigeonhole all touring cars and their support packages into crash bang wallet racing. The reason why they are so successful and liked by the fans and marshals for other reasons is because it's the entertainment of the racing. The racing's close. They are, there is a bit of contact. Some of it, some of it does go too far and that normally is dealt with. Again, it's spectators there. You get 30,000 people to a touring car meeting. In the olden days, before obviously everything went kicked off, it's they're there for the entertainment and watching thirty cars close formation battling out to be the first first one across the line. Motorsport Radio. A 
And lastly, following the OK being given for motorsport within the UK to resume, Motorsport UK have released guidance for everyone to work to, which has meant that we've now seen at least two C's Motorsport, Optimum Motorsport and Balfour Motorsport out on the track this week, which is a welcome return felt by all. The guidance issued by MSUK can be found on their website if you want a more detailed look, but we thought that given the podcast team contains both marshals and photographers, we thought it'd be good to have a discussion about this and the impact of the new guidelines for everyone. I'm going to kick straight off here. Whilst I understand the need for safety and social distancing, particularly the media rules to me make absolutely no sense. Um, in terms of writers, yes, they can work with a, with a live stream. They can work from home or they can socially distance, et cetera, et cetera, in the media center. But the, the regulations or, or the guidance relating to photographers to me is, it's beyond what is necessary. And I'm not saying this for me because as a, as a motorsport photographer, I am quite lucky at the moment in that I have the other skills that I need and I can still earn a decent wage because of my other job as a driver. I'm more concerned here with the guys that photography is their sole source of income. Now, with regards to media, the guidelines say strictly limited numbers, potentially single media syndicated. And from what we've heard, single media syndicated is what they're going to do on pretty much all the championships. So that means that the series photographer will be allowed on site and no one else will. And what these regulations do is create a exclusive monopoly because all of the major series, with the exception of Porsches, off the top of my head, Porsche Carrera Cup GB, and potentially their other other classes, are controlled by one one man's company, and that's Jacob Ebrey. Now, fair play to the man. He's built himself up a decent business. He, he's gone out and got a lot of clients. But the jobbing photographers out there, the likes of, and these are names that British GT fans will know um, from, from from the group, the likes of your Gary Paravani's as I know it, and uh, your Johnny Henchman's and, and people like that, absolutely top draw photographers who are working for, for teams and publications are being excluded from their place of work. And there's there's no reason for it. The photographers are the only people at the racetrack that do not need to interact with anybody to get their job done. I can go to a racetrack and I can work completely isolated if there's no spectators, I can shoot from public areas. I can maintain 50 meter social distancing. I can work out of my car for processing and storing equipment and things like that. There's, there's no reason to exclude photographers from, from, from race meetings, in my opinion. I absolutely agree with you in, in terms of way, the way you, the way you put it is, you know, if you, if you, if you can do that, then I don't see any reason why you shouldn't be allowed. Speaking for myself, I, I, I don't think this has been done purposely just to exclude everyone and go for like creating like a monopolization of, of the me, of, of the media track side. I hope that the uh, MSUK will be reviewing their rules and regulations concerning people being track side on a weekly basis. Hopefully as the, as the threat level gets less and less and less. Then can, could we see even more people being trackside in, um, for myself and Andrew? Um, you know, as marshals, we're being told there's only going to be two marshals a post. We aren't very clear on how, how that's going to work. So hopefully there's a threat of 
contracting the, the virus goes down, you will hopefully see, you know, photographers being in the in the public areas, working from your car, as you say, and stuff like that. But I I hope that it's not being done in terms of in in, in the terms of monopolisation. I wouldn't want to see that either. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a difficult time. We can just we can just hope that these these rules are, are looked at again once we start to get going again. So just to jump in there, guys, because you said yep. that obviously there's yep. two marshals on a post. For those that might not be aware of how kind of the marshal inside of things works, how is that different to how you were operating before and what's the impact of that for yourself and Andrew? Okay, so basically they're telling us that there will be a post chief in the marshal's box and there will be one flag marshal um, with him outside the box. Normally, the flag marshal who sometimes is actually the post chief as well, would be in the box with the post chief. And normally sometimes the post chief might even get involved with some of the flagging if need be. Sometimes and sometimes you might have a second flaggy up there as well. So there'll be three people in the box normally. But then, you know, outside the box, you'd normally have an incident team of two, three, four, you know, five, six marshals on larger corners. And we haven't heard anything about the incident marshals. We don't know how, well, I believe that there is something saying that there will be a response team or something like that. But as other than that, we don't know how that's going to, that's going to work or anything, or anything like that. The, um, the guidance on, on, on incident and medical interventions is, and, and on marshalling is that really there should be, uh, there should be, an incident response team. So, as we discussed last time, the um, the American model. Now, I do believe that, say, the American model could work pretty well over here, and all the circuits have their own vehicles to do that with. So, it's not up to the series to then go out and buy a number of vehicles to to actually make it all work. I think if they have a fairly substantial incident, three or four cars off at a corner they're going to find themselves pretty stuck for manpower to get it done. So so that worries me. I don't know about you guys that are going to be the guys that are running out to the three or four cars that are stuck in the gravel trap. I think with with, with regards to the marshals, they're, they're probably being a bit... They're putting COVID safety before competitor safety slightly. Um, and it's a, it's a balancing act. Uh, that's not a, that isn't a criticism. Uh, it's just the only way that I could think of to put it. So it kind of relates to as what you were saying about the 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 photography side, the media side of the of the argument. A lot of marshals, you know, when when we when we look at response teams and the American model and stuff like that, the American model sometimes um, a lot of the top series pay for a dedicated response team. These guys, you know, at least part time paid to be at each race and be the response team. And, and it's the only people on, the only marshals essentially around the court, around the circuit are the flag marshals. That's the big fear that some marshals have that we start going down the American model and, you know, there's no need for marshals there. At the moment, it's almost like the, the incident marshals are basically being told, we don't want you at the moment. Um, that's the way I see it. I haven't really spoken to anyone else. Yeah. But to me, if I, if I, if I, if I was an incident marshal, I'd be just going, not going to bother them. If they're going to say they want post chief and a flag marshal, unless I'm willing to flag, then why should you know? Why should I even volunteer for it? You know what I mean, so 
I, I understand that the difference here, I think, is that um, difference here is that between the marshals and the photographers I'm talking about is that uh, marshalling is a voluntary thing. We are very grateful for what you do. But at the end of the day, it is voluntary for a number of the guys in, in, the, in the media center with, with camera gear around their neck. And let's not forget the fact here that it isn't cheap to do what photographers do. I do it on a budget and I've got the better part of £12,000 tied up in gear. I pay insurance and things like that over and above what everybody else pays to get to the racetrack. Um, and then by excluding the, by excluding the marshals, they're not able to volunteer. By excluding the photographers, that's the difference between them eating gruel or eating gammon. Absolutely, absolutely, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. The, what I'm saying for the marshals, right, the, is that, so I, okay, I'll speak from my own experience. The reason why I started marshalling was to get me outside the house. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm being told, you know, don't, you know, we, we only want this type of marshal, we only want that type of marshal. You're not that type of marshal unless you're willing to do that. You know, one of those roles, then I'm just going to be sat in the house again. You know what I mean? And some, some people, well, I'll, I'll, again, I'll go from personal experience. I use it as a bit, as a, as a bit of an escape from, you know, regular, regular life. You know what I mean? So just go to the track for the weekend. It's not okay. Yeah. We don't, we don't get paid. It's not, uh, it's something we do on a voluntary basis and stuff like that, but marshalling to some people is, you know, a, a, a big part of their life, which they are missing out on at the moment. So we just have to remember that the guidance so far is initial guidance. This is, this could all change by the time we start next month or a month later. Having two marshals post is the bare minimum to run a mar- to run a race event. So that is what they're going with. At the moment, it obviously is not as not as many as we would like to have, but for a minimum guidance to minimum, to run a race meeting, that is minimum marshals per post to have. It's not ideal. We know it's not ideal, especially if you have a multiple car incident. But it's in a it's in a we're not in an ideal situation right now. It's not going to change drastically that soon. But to keep the meetings running, this is what they have to go with. We all have to go with it. We've got to work with it. Say me and Gaz run post together, which of course I, I am post chief and I've been flaggy before. Gaz is my flaggy. So technically, if something happens, I've got to be the one that's going to have to run onto a car. People might have seen me. I'm not going to run very fast. It's not very often that you have an incident where the driver can't get out of the car or perhaps drive away. It's only in desperate situations where something's gone very badly wrong that we're going to need help with. And by that time, I can radio through. So I can be able to see running up to the car, trotting up to the car, that um, something serious is going on. And by that time, I can radio through and the emergency, the rescue teams, emergency teams can be on their way before I even get anywhere near the car. It's only in those desperate situations where them sort of things happen. The lack of marshals isn't going to be helpful, but again, in the long run, it's, it's what needs to be done to help bring sport back to the UK, bring sport back to the world. It's, um, it's, this going to have to be, this way for a little while. One final thing with regards to you guys. The shortest circuit we race on is the Grand Hatch Grand Prix circuit, I believe. Yeah, 3.908 kilometers. 
that means we could socially distance just under 2,000 marshals around that circuit. So should they be manning every available post with two marshals to give you guys more more people? But every, uh, how many posts around? There's the Grand Prix circuit, about 25 20. posts around the Grand Prix circuit? 23, maybe. Yeah, well, I was on 21 last Last you year. also got you got four and four A, so in certain places there's different spots okay. like that. Yeah. Um, so there's about, roughly about 25 posts for the Grand Prix circuit. So with and that's every couple hundred yards. And um, the obvious so, spot, the obvious spot for trouble is down at, um, after the first corner, because that's where normally things kick off badly. The pressure point for marshals is going to be if there is a big accident and you'll you'll have to group around the car and turn the car over and. Help a driver out of the car, cut the car, cut the driver out of the car. According to the guidelines, we don't get involved with that. That's down yeah, to the rescue. Yeah, no, that's that. Well, that's rescue crew are volunteers like ourselves, though. So. Yeah, and, you know, generally come under the marshal banner, don't they, normally? You know, that's going to be the pinch point uh, whereby you, you have to have a doctor holding the driver's head still whilst, whilst the rescue crew. And normally there may be some marshals you know, helping out and stuff like that. So you won't have the marshal's help. You'll just have the rescue crew who may be on a minimum staffing. You know, they'll have to be wearing all the protective gear and stuff like that. That's that's the pinch point where... You know, what what will happen is, because if anything bad does happen, it will. normally we could perhaps deal with a safety car, stuff like that. There'll be a lot more red flags coming up. I was about to say. If stuff hits the fan, there'll be a lot more red flags and the day will just... Get longer support series races might get shortened. It's yeah. all that sort of stuff will which, happen. Which brings us back to our discussion on support races. Do we really need a full support package when we're going to have more interruptions to the racing day? And they I haven't said out? they haven't said how many races they're having yet, though, are they? They they, they said they're, they're supporting these rounds. They haven't said what how many races they're having yet. Yeah, because they normally get what two, three two, races three, 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 series in a weekend, so they might go and get. Yeah, so, one on each day sort of thing, perhaps. Yeah. I was about yeah, I was about to make the point Andrew just said, I mean you'll see a lot more red flag during the qualifying practice sessions and stuff like that. And I think you'll see a lot more safety car running whilst these got these guidelines are in place. Until we can get larger groups of marshals out on track. Yeah, definitely. More red flags, more safety car. So not only with the guidelines going on, I as I think me and Gaz have both seen on via Facebook and via our social medias is some marshals don't want to come out. Some marshals yeah. still may be yeah. self-isolating. Yeah, they still might be doing that. Some of the post chiefs are of a higher age. So obviously they perhaps don't want to come out. Then there's the issue of traveling back to forth some circuits. We're still not entirely sure what the plan is with that about staying at the circuits because literally every circuit I go to, I can get to SNET uh, within an hour and a half. All the other circuits are too far for me to go drive back to every day. So I need to stay. I can't afford hotels. I will need to camp. Camping needs to be sorted out. Can we do that? And also, and also getting volunteering for it. Can we actually get accepted to go do these meetings? Because now I've just seen today that the very first weekend of August, we've got ourselves, restoring cars, first Grand Prix, Brickhart, Branzach. There is now something on the Cadwell Park as well. There's a lot of meetings going on that very first weekend. Considering there's less permits being given out, a lot of permits for one weekend. Yes, number, yes, marshal numbers are limited per circuit, but 
We still can't be everywhere at once. Well, I've taken over a beer. <laughs> oh, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> unless, unless, unless someone wants to bring any more talk, talking points on, I think, I think everything, I think everything has just about been said. Unless you want to go back to the media stuff, Nick. Well, I did want to add a bit more on the media, but I didn't want to bang away on that drum. No, no, because we, me and, me and Andrew have gone away, gone a bit on, on, on the marshalling side. The other thing that obviously we discussed with regards to the media restrictions and its effect on, on photographers is that whilst COVID-19 is the catalyst this time, Motorsport UK or the MSA as it was back in the day does kind of have form on, on this. Um, because the regulations that were brought in granted in the wake of an incident in Scotland which resulted in the death of uh, a photographer or a spectator on a rally. Um, they brought in a load of new regulations. Um, those regulations restrict the number of rally photographers. Um, and I've got the information properly up on my, on my tablet here. There are 62 available tabards for photographers and videographers to cover rally. Now, you've got to do a martial online training program to get that. You've got to prove experience. You've got to have a letter of reference from another photographer who already holds a tabard to be considered for one of these. And also, you need to pay money to the to Motorsport UK and leave a substantial deposit for what is effectively a high-vis vest. The sort of thing you could go to your local safety workwear shop and pick up with sign right, with, with printing on the back of it for about a fiver. And they're asking for a 150 quid deposit for it. So you've got to do all of that to get into a rally these days. Now there's 62 available of which there are 54 actually issued. In fact, no, even fewer than that. 53 issued. And some of them are assigned to an organization rather than to an actual photographer. Looking through the list, there's at least four people on this list that I recognize from working for the series photographer at major events in circuit racing. And then I look at the last weekend of August of this year when British GT's out, touring cars will be out. So the Jacob Ebery photographers will be busy. And then there are three rallies on that need to be covered as well. So they've restricted restricted access to rallies, putatively on the grounds of safety. I've been trying to get into rallies for five years and continually get declined because I don't have the experience or I don't have the letter, or et cetera, et cetera. How do you get the experience if you can't actually go and do the event? But they brought these rules in and they've turned rallying into a specialist monopoly because there's only a few guys that are allowed to even try and do it. And I worry that this is what's going to happen with, with, with circuit racing in the wake of this. They've, they've managed to, managed to finally lock it down. And now they're going to put in such controls that for the guys that are doing it as a, as a second job, the guys that are bloody good photographers but are effectively monetizing their hobby. It isn't going to be worth it anymore, and they're going to be they're going to be closing out very talented guys and girls because it isn't worth them to fork out the money for the tabard and this, that, and the other on top of maintaining gear, etc. 
it's it's something that that, that has happened before, not in re- relation to a pandemic, in relation to something else. But the MSA, as it was back then, jumped on it as a chance to to lock it down, and it's it's proving a pretty much impossible nut to crack ever since. I'll I'll say that you know I per, I personally hope then that that isn't done with circuit racing. What they're doing with rally doesn't sound right to me. I feel sure someone somewhere from the from MSUK will come back to us and say, "Well, you know, we do we do it for this reason, we do it for that reason, and we do it for this reason, and that's the reason why we do it." But it sounds unreasonable, and I'm, I'm I myself will just say, "I hope it doesn't happen to circuit racing," because every now and again, you know, you do you do find the odd photographer that's friendly to chat to, and will will sometimes even give you. A little bit more information about a crash you, you, that you've meant to have meant to have seen, but you were looking down at your boots or something like that, and you were yeah, meant to be careful, guys. More than once. And please, Andrew, don't identify the person that I grasped up. But more than once, my photos have actually clocked the car that was at fault for an incident and has gone to a marshal before. Exactly. You know, we, I mean, we, I've, I've gone to, I've gone to photographers and said, have you got any pictures of what went on just then? Because I was looking elsewhere on track. I was looking at my boots. I was trying to check out the the new marshal on post. What was he wandering into a, a dangerous area on post? To have the photographers there is 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 a useful tool for us. It's a useful tool for the teams, and it's it's. I, it's I, 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 I do want them back for for, the, for, the, for those reasons. It's not just a useful tool for the teams. It's it's fairly vital for the teams. Because yeah. the work that we do gives their sponsors the exposure that makes it worthwhile their sponsors spending the money to run the cars. Yeah. yeah. The, only other, the only other thing they could perhaps, another way to think about it is they actually have to employ the photographer on their books for them to take their pictures off. Obviously, it doesn't really work can't that do way. It. But can't do it because you're only the, only the series photographers or the circuits approved photographer, the circuits contractor photographer will get a tabard. And they won't allow spectators in, so anybody walking around without a tabard is going to be stopped and sent out. You're not As supposed I say, to be here. We can, we, we, can, we, can, we can only hope these these are temp, these are temporary measures. We, we, I, we've, 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 we've all we've all got our concerns about our relative field in terms of motorsport. You say you I mean you're concerned about the media side. We're concerned about marshals that are now basically saying, "Well, this is the catalyst, catalyst I need to just." Quit marshing, but our marshing numbers are going to go down. Some may feel unwelcome during these restrictions and won't bother applying and just say, you know, hell to it, I'm just going to come back next year or something like that. Yeah, I know of one particular person. Okay, he's got something else going on in his life at the moment, but he is just saying, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to bother this year. That's it. I'm done. See you, like, see you next year, guys. And he's an extremely confident marshal. We could actually do him out on track if he can, if he can get in. You just got to hope these are temporary measures. We're not going to go to the American system of marshalling. We're not going to go to a monopolization on the media side. We want, we want, we wanted to return to somewhere near to the normality that we knew, not just in motorsport, but in life in general. And if it doesn't return, you know, we should speak up and, you know, and, and make, make our voices heard, you know, like we're doing now. Yeah. And just as with, with you, with, with the marshals that might decide that this is the thing to stop them from going to the various racetracks. The thing that I, I really worry about is, let's say, the guys that derive all their income from photography. And are they still going to be here next year when things are coming back to normal? 
or will they have got to the point where they've got no choice but to go and get a job at Tesco stacking shelves because they can't feed the families? Take the job at Tesco's for the moment. Come back next year. Please. You're listening to the British GT Fan Show. You can find us on social media at BGTF Show. Or visit our website at www.bgtfshow.co.uk. Also visit our partners. British GT Fans on Facebook, on Instagram and Twitter. It's Fans of British GT. So now that we've had a look through the races that made up the 2018 British GT Championship, we will have a look at it from the point of view of the different teams. So we'll go in reverse order. Uh, so, finishing last, we had Invictus Games Racing. We say last place for this one, but to me, this wasn't the effort that came last. Um, this was a new team, a new car. The car was specifically commissioned by the team for from Jaguar to compete in the championship. It hadn't run anywhere else before. And the team's objectives were different to pretty much everybody else's. Everybody else was looking for... Pro-Am Championship or Silver Championship or Outright Championship. Uh, these guys, the vast majority of the team, there was a core of David Appleby Engineering crew and obviously Matt George as the experienced driving talent. The other five drivers and many of the guys in the garage uh, had all served in our armed forces, had uh, left our armed forces with challenges relating to their service and reintegrating into to what they call Civvy Street. Their task was to show they could do it and they didn't embarrass themselves. They they proved that they should be there and that to me was a win. Definitely was a great looking and great sounding car. The supercharged V8, you love the sound of that thing. It's a shame that it's not longer racing anymore. They will come back though. I mean, the cars are for sale. The cars will turn up again somewhere. Maybe not in British GT but they can race in Brick Car or GT Cup. I don't think we've seen the last of these Jaguars. They were purchased at auction towards the end of last year by an anonymous bidder. I just hope he hasn't bought them to stick them in his garage. Fingers crossed we'll see him somewhere. So next up on the list, we have Team Hard Racing with their Janetta cars. Team Hard, it was a two-car effort, the number 34 and the number 88. We're looking at a team that's been in the championship for a couple of three years. Really, okay, they took a couple of championships in that time, but coming to the end of it, they didn't look like a team that probably should have had a place on the grid, to be honest. The number 34 car, which was obviously privately owned, looked good. The number 88 didn't impress visually at all. The driving standards weren't exactly... Uh, top flight and we're looking at a team here that has run at the top of motorsport they've been in the british touring car championship they ran most of the cars in the volkswagen racing cup um but i can think of three or four incidents that these cars didn't need to be in 11 and a half points from a two car effort to me this is the effort that came last i think i completely agree with you i mean the 34 i believe was anna's car and she left the team at first Spa, creating Pro Technica. Unfortunately, I think, you know, Team Hard have done, you know, good things in other series. This is, dare I say it, a little bit half-arsed, I think. It was a shame because their first season in British GT, they actually won the team championship in GT4. But the second and third year, it just went downwards. And the amount of, dri- they went through five drivers for the 88, which is, in no way you can build consistency on that. It's just not going to work. 
in a championship like British GT, running it on a drive and drive model just doesn't work. And basically, they try to arrive and drive and run what you drunk. Um, that sort of effort's better placed in, in lower formula, shall we say. So next up in the GT4 lineup, we've got the single entry from Fox Motorsport, the number 77 Mercedes. So Mark Murphy and Michael Broadhurst driving the Mercedes AMG GT4. An absolutely beautiful looking car, sounded as good as it looked. Uh, unfortunately, it was just overshadowed by the number 66 Team Parker racing car, which had the better season. I don't think there's any shame in what these guys achieved. They had a good year. If I'm correct, this was their first year in a championship with the car, and um, Mark was the AM driver. Michael was his driver coach, and they, as throughout the year, they did get better and better, and um, they were racing it in brick car a few times as well to get some experience with it. For a first, first season entry with a brand new car, they did all right. They were very consistent. 21st, 22nd, 22nd, 21st, 19th disqualified in Silverstone 500, I think that is. Uh, retired. That, was, that, was, that was the contact with the number seven Team Parker Bentley. I say retired at Spa, 21st again at Brands Hatch, and then didn't turn out for Donington Park. Like we said, first year in the championship, new team coming together. Uh, I mean, it's not Fox's first year in the championship or their first race in the championship. My wall has actually got a artwork of a Fox Motorsport Ferrari that raced about the year before, uh, the GT3 um, Ferrari. So the team knew the championship, but the drivers were new. And it was a respectable effort. They earned their place on the grid, but they were just overshadowed by competition that was was better than them. Yeah, I would have expected a little bit more from this from this effort, knowing Fox's background. But then that could just be down to the... Not exactly the pro talent behind the wheel, but the am talent behind the wheel, I think. The reason why they didn't turn to Silverstone, Andrew might be able to confirm this, didn't they have a massive shunting GT Cup um, the week before, almost writing off the car? Yeah, if you mean Donington, the last race of the year, they had a, they had a massive crash. Yeah. There was not enough time or spare yeah. parts to fix it in time. It was the week before, wasn't it? Because um, the B scene turned up for that meeting as well. Okay, so moving on next, we've got the two Toyotas of uh, the stellar performance offering for this year, the 68 and the 86. I wanted so much from these cars uh, ever since they first showed up in, what, 2015? I think they looked great. I think it sounded great. I don't think they could ever get them going in the way they wanted them to. They did much better in this year than they had done. I remember it was at least to lose do like three or four laps, then give up. At least this time for the first part of the season, they were actually finishing races. These two cars turned up at the start of the year, and my first thoughts were, hallelujah, he has arrived, he has risen. The GPRM running of the car for the first two or so years wasn't legendary. They struggled for reliability, they struggled for performance. They spent most of the season re-engineering the car, not racing it. Then stellar performance turned up, and it was such a marked change that, to be honest, I thought the cars had been sold to a different team until someone told me they hadn't. We had two cars, the 86 and the 68. They looked great in opposing liveries made up of the different circuits the cars were going to race on. No sponsors on the car, unfortunately, but they did look the part. And towards the end of the season, they were going pretty well as well. 
it was a strong return for the car to the championship and a good launch for the new name, uh, Stella Performance. It was just unfortunate that the cars were coming towards the end of their life. Last two races, it did at Donington, uh, Donington and Brand Satch, the uh, 86. So out, out of the whole field came 15 for 16. So the, the pace was there in the car when it worked. Yeah, and it's just a shame it took three years to find that pace. Then they bought an Audi. And then they found the pace because they won the first race the Audi did. The Toyotas in 2018 were a good news story, even though they finished so far down the order. Okay, so next on the list, we've got another single car entry, this time for Track Club with the number 72 McLaren. Adam Ballon, his first year in the championship, Ben Barnicote making his return to, to prominence, picked up by McLaren, put with, with Ballon and Track Club for the GT4 season. And they had a pretty good start, a win at the first round. But then the results didn't really carry on in that light. So the win was followed by a fourth, then 14th, hit sixth in the fourth round of the championship, and then retire, retire, did not start. So it wasn't a a fantastic year for them. It was a good-looking, well-driven effort. I don't think the results reflected the effort that was put into to the season. But, yeah, pretty good run. The car then did swap to Balfour Motorsport and it came, uh, then won its first race at Brandsatch under Balfour Motorsport. Okay, so a win and then second, uh, fourth place. A couple of results off the podium. Uh, two retirements and a DNS did not start. Now, I haven't spoken to the team. I don't know for certain. I'd be guessing that's engineering difficulties because, as we've said, come the Donington Decider, the car does reappear, but it reappears run as Balf Motorsport, where, unfortunately, it retired again. So, as I say, a season which was showed promise. It showed pace and then just didn't deliver. It was a good effort, though. It was a pretty good effort. Okay, so next up in the order, we've got the Balf Motorsport slash PMW Expo Racing with their two McLarens, number 72 and 501. Former champions in the GT4 class, the PMW Expo Racing of Graham Johnson and Mike Robinson. Just wasn't their year, really. Respectable first round at Alton Park, respectable first round at Snetterton, respectable Silverstone 500. And I mean, eighth place overall at Brands Hatch. So a respectable season. There's just too many blobs in the uh, too many blobs on the uh, on my calendar there. Retirement at round four, uh, retirement in Spa, and did not turn up for Donington Park. It's consistency that gets you high in championships, and they just didn't have the consistency. The drivers didn't do the last round in the GT4. They did it in the GT3 car. They did. I am kind of worrying here that this part of the review is me spouting a load of opinions and then you guys correcting what I got wrong. <laughs> I thought that's what we were here for. <laughs> <laughs> Seventh in the GT4 entry, we have Equipe Vachure with their McLaren number 10 car. Equipe Vachure first race for British GT in the European GT4 series that visited with us for a couple of rounds in the previous years. Um, they turned up in 2018, 
with a beautiful blue McLaren 570S GT4. It was absolutely stunning, the car. Um, did pretty well in a, in, in a couple of races. Finlay Hutchinson and Daniel McKay, the driving talent for the car. Started off slow, had a bit of a ropey middle part of the season. But after that, I mean, it's, it's all good finishes. 15th and 18th at Snet. 13th overall in, in, in Spa. 18th overall at Brands, 13th in the in the final race of the year, which I believe I said in the uh, race by race review they won. They should have won a lot. They should have won a lot more. They had a lot of issues with suspension and just um, so a lot of bad luck really ruined their season. They could have been much higher. Yeah. Um, the other thing to point out about this one, uh, just looking down the entry here, they are the only foreign team entered into the championship. Uh, so it's, it's nice to have a bit of diversity there as well. It's just bad luck. Yeah, I think I don't think the I don't think the results necessarily match the talent in the car. Finley and Finley Hutchison has actually managed to go on to GC3 racing um, with the same team out in Europe, and uh, he's doing reasonably well. Good, good driving talent, good team, bad luck. You need all three to do well in in a championship as competitive as British GT. So next up, we've got the number 66 of Team Parker Racing in their Mercedes. Yep, um, they were back in the championship with Scott Malvin and Nick Jones. They swapped to the Mercedes this year after driving around in the Porsche for a few years. Decent results all year, consistently, and they actually won the GT4 Pro-Am Championship. Last episode, we had Martin Plowman on, and he referred to Scott Malvin as possibly the most underrated driver he's ever raced against. And hands up, I'm, I'm, I'm laying out my case here of all the GT4 cars that we've had in the decade I've been covering British GT. I've been rooting for this pair all along. I'm a fanboy on this one. But they had a damn good year, as, as indicated by the fact they took a title at the end of it. Their worst finish was at the first round, where they started a lap down because the car just didn't get away from, from the bottom of Deer Link. The only other poor result they had uh, was 20th overall, first first race at, at Snet. The car looked great. I personally preferred the Porsche they were racing the year before, but obviously they know more than I do because they switched to the car that got them the title. Didn't Scott Malvin in Formula 3 win nearly every race? Or am I just talking about my backside? No, yeah. Very strong results in Formula 3. I say an overall good year for them. It was um, much better than that Porsche they had. That Porsche they used for a few years. It just wasn't at the top of GT4 at all. No, but it looked outstanding. Okay, so in fifth place, we have Ultratech Racing, uh, Team RJN, with the 53 and 54 cars. We had Kelvin Fletcher and Martin Plowman teamed up in the 53. And then we had, starting off the season, was Jesse Antilla and Stefan Johansson in the 54. Much better from the, this car this year. Nissan's been around for a few years, and this year it was the best year it's ever had. Kelvin Fletcher coming straight on from his touring car stint, which didn't go very well for him. Teaming up with Martin, his driver coach. They were decent results all year, and then got a podium at Brands Hatch. And the 54, getting some reasonable results, disappeared for a few races for budget concerns, came back in a sort of half-decent result at Donington. 
So, a bit of an underdog car, but a bit of a fan favourite as well. Um, the Japanese made entries into the championship in 2018. They really captured the hearts and minds of the guys on the viewing mounds and in the grandstands. Unfortunately, the results just didn't match the effort that was put in here and the support that the team had. It was a good season for Martin Plowman and Kelvin Fletcher. And if it hadn't been for the budget issues with the other car, then I think this effort could have finished fourth in, in class because they had some good good results and some good pace. It just didn't work out for them. So next up, we've got the number 61 and 62 cars of Academy Motorsport. Yes, the 61 was driven by Yang Yonk and Tom Wood, and then the 62 was driven by Matt Nichol Jones, the team boss, with Will Moore. Both entered in the silver-silver class, so rather against Pro-Am. They had good runner results for the 62, a long run of podium finishes, and decent results for the 61. So apart from the few retirements for the 62, which looks like they cost them quite a lot in the championship, it was actually not a bad year for Academy. Yeah, unlucky really with this effort. I mean... The cars were involved in a few incidents that, off the top of my head, I can think of uh, a few, uh, particularly the one at Lodge in the first round wasn't the the Academy car's fault. It was a bit of a bruiser of BMW, uh, went in where Angel's Fear to Tread got a bit physical, um, and it resulted in, in some quite significant damage for the car. You look at the results table we've got here and it goes gold, silver and bronze for the podium positions, uh, green for a points finish. And looking down this table, I've got six non-points finishes, three retirements out of a possible 18 attempts to score here. So they took half the points scoring opportunities that they could have, but it wasn't their fault really. It was just unlucky. You need luck. So leading into the top three of the GT4 manufacturers, we've got HHC Motorsport with their Genesis of numbers 50 and 55. Defending champions are back, running a car in pro and running one car in silver in the silver class. Again, it was the 55, which was running in silver, had points finishes all year and a win at net round one. Uh, the pro-am car, a couple of non-points finishes then started coming on then got disqualified at Brands Touch for causing an incident with the Invictus Jag, then didn't do the last round. Again, it's just another um, consistent year for the 55 helped them in the point scoring. HHC Motorsport always look good in terms of the performance that they put in, um, but they always seem to, they don't seem to get the results necessarily that they deserve. They always seem to finish second or third. They've been Janetta for absolutely years. I mean, they've done Janetta Juniors, they've done Janetta Super Cup. Um, they're obviously a pretty good team given the results that they're turning out, but um, it just doesn't seem to go 100% to plan for them in British GT. 2018, also the Janetta was beginning to get BOP backwards a slightly bit as well. Um, a few of the other teams, like Team Hard, saying that BOP was a bit bad against it. Because obviously it's more of a race-bred car rather than being a road-based car. So the BOP was sort of affecting it slightly. Considering the um, championship win the previous year, this is a, this is a team you maybe expected maybe a little bit better out of throughout this year. But, you know, it, as, 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 Nick, as Nick says, it's, it's, all about, it's all about luck. Their championship pairing went on to do uh, European GC4 this year and the, the, the new pairings just weren't getting the results that, you know, would have taken them further at the table. 
Of course, the Janetta was coming towards the end of its life at this point. It was one of the first of the GT4 cars, one of the earlier ones. And it had been in the championship for, for quite a few years, since 2014. Obviously, it built up to its championship in, in 2017 and then dropped down to, to just two cars for 2018. Of course, 2019, it disappeared off the face of the earth. It was like the Mary Celeste in the Janetta area. Um, so it was just a car that was coming towards the end of its life, I think, and, and not many people were interested in running it. This was the second version. The, the G50 was the first. G55, which was this version, was 2014 onwards, if I'm correct. The point I'm making here, what I'm trying to say, is that the SRO and the British GT Championship, in terms of the balance of performance, they haven't penalise people running older cars, but the balance of performance has always been slightly favourable to those that are investing in the new cars, the new technology, investing in the championship. And there comes a point where it's time for the older cars to to move off into the lower formulae and make way for the latest technology, which is what people are coming out and they're paying ticket prices to come and see. In in, in Well, when you say that, you mean you, you thought that you wouldn't see the Aston Martins in GT3 doing as well as what they were because, you know, some of those were very old chassis. And even though they had the the, uh, the upgrade packages applied to them, they were still, as, as we can see this year, they, they were still winning championships and winning races. But, yeah, the Janetta was on its way. I completely agree with you on that one. Okay, so second in the GT4 championship, we have Tolman Motorsport with their three McLarens, the number four, the number five, and the 56. I think what's telling here is less the 249 and a half points that Tolman got this uh, season and more the 251 that Sentry netted, given that Sentry only had two cars to score with and Tolman had three. They were the only team with three bullets in their gun. It gave the eventual winners nine less chances to score. Now, there were a lot of non-scoring rounds for the Tolman cars. There were five retirements. There were a lot of silver and bronzes in there as well, and there was one gold. But the McLaren driver development cars, the number four and the number five, in my opinion, didn't hold up their end of the bargain here particularly well. And whilst the 56, it had its issues, on the whole, they had the better season, in my opinion. But as I say, it's just um, a bit of a missed opportunity. Yeah, having Joe Osborne on the team was good for Tom because obviously he's a McLaren development driver. He has the experience to help bring on these four silver drivers. They're all young up and coming guys. If if it wasn't for the retirements and those and those non scorers, they would have you can tell they would have they would have definitely won the championship, but yeah, it's so it's it's hard to, you know, make something positive out of something that should have been within their grasp to do. It should it should have been a walkover for them. It's easier yeah. to score half a point more than your nearest rival when you've got thirty three percent more chance. As you said a couple of times already, section it's all down to luck. You can't say, "Right, we're going to come with three cars this year. We're going to win it." Because first couple of races, all three of your cars could get taken out. Porsche said that at Le Mans. Yeah, no, but that was like that, that's, that's, that looked like a nice little backhander to whoever was setting out the BOP that year. But even then, it was a long car that won. Yeah, no, but we could say a lot of things about that about, about Le Mans. Do you know what I mean? 
So rounding off the GT4 championship, pipping Tolman to the post, uh, we've got Century Motorsport with their two BMWs, numbers 42 and number 43, taking the championship with 251 points. Century brought out the two brand new BMW M4 GT4s. Um, I'm slightly biased towards a certain car, as Gaz will probably take the mick out of me in a minute for. Um, 42 driven by Ben Tuck and uh, Ben Green. And number 43 driven by Jack Mitchell and then a couple of different teammates. Century's first time running the BMWs after running for Genesis for donkey's years. This was a good year for them. And the fact they beat three cars from Tolman, it shows how much of a good year they had. Didn't have not one, did not finish. Three wins, many podiums. Very good year for first year for Century with their BMWs. The Ben MW had the more consistent year. But Jack Mitchell has been, I mean, it's twice. Two years on the trot, because it's the same in 2019. He's had very strong results and terrible luck with his teammates because he would have had much better results if he had more consistent driver lineup. Double podium at Alton Park, podium at Silverstone, podium at Spa, three more points scoring finishes. That's, that's what builds the title. You're right. It's, they turned up with a new car and with not much testing either. Um, well, they, they, literally, yeah. they literally had a day or two testing with it on old tyres as well. And it was, um, mm-hmm. it was, they turned it on park not knowing and it worked out great for them. And a car less like a speedy GT4 car, it's, it's hard to find, isn't it? I mean, a, a coupe-paid four-door saloon, but then BMWs have always bought strange cars to motorsport and they've always done well with them. Well-presented effort, well-driven effort, well-rewarded effort. You know, they, they did, they did, they did extremely well. And, and as you say, I like the little, um, the little name you gave to the 42, the Ben MW. Um, you know, they, they had the, they had the results to, to go on other points. And, you know, that's the way you, that's the way you make a championship, isn't it? And you had the look, of course. British GT Fan Show is a Storm Vixen creative and RPS-driven media production for motorsport.radio. You can find us on social media at BGTF Show or visit our website www.bgtfshow.co.uk. So moving across the GT3, finishing bottle of the run, we've got the Bath Motorsport McLaren number 101 with a smattering of drivers on there. Three rounds where the car wasn't entered, uh, two rounds where they retired, and one round where they failed to score. That was the bad part of the season. The 8th, 8th and 10th was the apparently good part of the season. But we're in a class here where peak GT3, the most uh, cars we had entered for a single round, was 11, so a best finish of 8th really wasn't uh, what we would have expected. But they did bring a car that nobody else was bringing, and it looked lovely, and it sounded nice, and it went fairly well. And they were also running a concurrent campaign in GT Cup, and that campaign was a title-winning campaign. So they achieved what they needed to there. Um, of course, the final round was given to the GT4 drivers, so we need to count that one out a little bit. Reasonable effort, but could have been better. The, the crash at Rockingham 
put paid to the season a bit because then they had to miss Snetterton. They may have to miss both rounds there. They have to rebuild the car, get it back ready, as they call it, a season reset for Silverstone. It's a crying shame for this for, the, for, for that car. Um, probably one of the best looking cars ever to grace the grid of British GT, the 650S. As as we were talking about in some of the GE4 cars, this was a car that was on its way out. It was going to be replaced next year. They were doing what they could with it, but that, that crash at Rockingham, that's a season over, isn't it, if you have to rebuild the car. And Rockingham's never been particularly kind to McLaren's either, has it? Rockingham is just not kind at all in my experience, but you know. Wait, wait, watch it. <laughs> okay, so next in the entry, we have another single car entry, this time the number 24 Motul Team RJN Motorsport car. This is a car I was expecting a little bit more out of this year. I really was. I really like that, that GT3 Nissan. I really wanted it to do a whole lot more. Um, best place, fourth at Silverstone. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, shame about the rest of the season. What can, you, what, can you, what can you do when you've got a rotation of drivers like they had, though, unfortunately, that year? Six drivers they had in total, and also swapping between silver and pro-am glass as well. With a rotating lineup of drivers, it's not. It's never going to do well. I'm, I, may, I may say down on it, but that's because I was expecting a hell of a lot more from it. Every manufacturer has their flagship team. But Aston Martin, it's probably TF Sport or our motorsport, depending on which side of, of the world you're looking at. For, for Audi, it's APT or WRT. For Nissan, the flagship team was KCMG. And the fact that last year they ditched their Nissan in favour of, of Porsches shows that that car wasn't all that it should be. Now, Bob Neville, the RJ and N of RJ and motorsport, is a man that if you give him a house brick, he'll get it to do race leading times. So my thoughts on this are that I mean it was a very early GT3 car that was upgraded and upgraded and upgraded. I don't think the car had the pace in it to challenge its rivals. And then when you put six drivers through the car in, in seven race meetings, what do you expect? Taking seventh in the championship was the Jetstream Motorsport Aston Martin number 47 car, driven by Graham Davidson and Maxime Martin. Good first year for Jetstream. I've never actually heard it before until they appeared. car looked nice in its livery of orange, white and black. And there's a decent results throughout the year. Um, one win at Bar was their highlight of the season. Just a force, a force year, a couple of nine points finishes and a retirement at Brands Hatch caused by the um, broken windscreen. Graham had been around for a couple of years, racing in another GC championship in the McLaren, making a move to Aston Martin, stepping up to British GT. Decent team there, Maxime Martin. It was a not bad first year for them. Aston Martin threw everything they had at GT3 in 2018. Every full season GT3 entry. Um, and that's all the GT3s apart from the ultimate speed car, which only turned out one round had a factory driver in the lineup. Now, for Jetstream, who, as Andrew said, I'd never heard of, Aston Martin provided Maxime Martin, who is a very gifted driver, has been driving since the turn of the decade, uh, was running in uh, GT1s with uh, Mark VDS back in the day, switched allegiance to Aston Martin, um has done very good things in the Weckham Le Mans for them. So in with the Jetstream crew. 
The other thing I will say about this effort, and more particularly about the car, best livery ever, because they ignored the perceived Aston Martin wisdom of you must have a contrasting colour around the grill and put teeth in it instead. It was photographic gold. Taking sixth place in the championship, we have the Beach Dean AMR number 99 car driven by Andrew Howard and Darren Turner. This was their first year back after about a year break after taking part in a GTE in, in the Europe series. For Beach Dean, I think this is a disappointing, disappointing championship. Um, normally they've been up the top winning, cha- they won the championship a few years in a row. Being Darren Turner in the car, one of the Aston Pro drivers, Andrew Howard, the full championship winner, this year wasn't great for them. In 2016, Beach Dean AMR did the double. They took GT3 and GT4. They came back in 2018. It didn't go quite so well for them. And I think I know the reason why. It's because they didn't have SpongeBob on the side of the car anymore. SpongeBob SquarePants made that Aston Martin faster. Now, the V12, it was a proper physical car. And Andrew Howard is a driver that responds to a properly physical car. And he is a proper driver. Darren Turner, you put his name on the side of an Aston Martin and you expect it to go very, very well. Looking at the results for the year, there's a retirement at Spa. There was a no-points finish in Snetterton. But there were a couple of second places. There was a third place. They were just... They were outgunned. Barwell had three cars at places and two as standard. Team Parker Racing, two cars, and they're never slow. TF Sport, the same. The only car that finished higher than them in the order that you'd have thought maybe they should have been fighting with was the ERC Sport Mercedes. It's They were just outgunned. Normally you would expect a lot more from ex-championship winner with Andrew Howard and with Darren Tiena plugged in into the car. You should, you should be a lot further up the points. It's just down to it's <laughs> just down to look again, isn't it? So next up is the 116 car driven by Yelma Berman and Lee Mole, belonging to ERC Sport. Lee Mole's second year in a Mercedes after being teammate with Ryan Ratcliffe the year before. Decent decent year, good good steady point scorers and a good win at Rockingham, coming back from last in GT3 to win the race. One of those, it um, could have been better, could have been much worse. Decent, good, decent year for them. This car announced its intentions around one of the championship at Alton Park. Lee Mole, I mean, the car was there or thereabouts all the way through the race weekend, but come the race, Lee Mole was, was right on it for all of his am stint. Then Yelma Berman got in the car and Darren Turner, of all people, had his hands full. Um, so it was quite an impressive run then. It was also nice to have a Mercedes-Benz in the championship, something different to the Aston Martins, Lamborghinis and Bentleys. Whoever thought I'd say that? It looked great. It sounded fantastic. And it went like um, something I can't say on the radio out of a shovel. Um, So two third places. uh, Of course, a win at Rockingham. All the finishes... All the rounds this year were, were points finishes for the car. It was a great effort from these guys, and I don't quite understand why it didn't finish slightly higher, apart from the fact that everybody else had more than one car. Just the might of Aston Martin keeping down a bit. 
So number four in the championship was Team Parker Racing with their two Bentley entries, number one and car number seven. Yep, defending champions of Rick Parfit Jr., this time teamed with Ryan Ratcliffe. Very bad start of the year or non-points finish. In the dampness of the circuit, the Bentley doesn't go well when it's damp. And then the rest of the year wasn't great for them at all. The only highlight was Spa when the team came second and Ratcliffe had his best race of the year. The sister car, a much better year this year in 2018 than it did the year before. Just the one retirement at Sethton in the second race and one non-point score at Silverstone. It was the better car of the two that year. And Rick was Rick in the number one. Um, I'm sure he wanted his championship defence to go much better than it did. I think the performance over the course of the year was possibly a contributing factor in Rick Parfit's decision to retire at the end of the season. Of course, it only lasted about three minutes. And as Rick said in an interview himself, his old man wasn't averse to a couple of comebacks. So why should he be? Really, it was the number seven was a better car throughout the year. Ian Loggy really did come of age as a GT3 driver. Two cars that looked absolutely great. They drove pretty well. They didn't like British weather, quite frankly. They're, they're big, heavy cars. And when I say big, heavy cars, of course, I don't mean that they're over, over the weight. They were engineered down to the weight limit and then ballasted back up, um, to hit that target. But, the way the weight sits on the car makes it more of a handful in, in low, low traction conditions. So they struggled a bit with typical British weather. I think with Parfit and Ratcliffe, um, they didn't, compared to the year before, they, they always started further down the grid. So they ended up getting mixed up with stupid little incidents of getting spun around or spinning themselves while getting stressed. And that just sort of put pay to them trying to challenge at the front. Parfit on his day is the fastest program driver. And that's been proved. And sometimes he's as fast as Silver Pro Driver. It's just this year, Ryan, not being horrible to him, seemed to struggle with the car. Um, he couldn't really get on top of it at all throughout the whole year. And it wasn't until Spa that he had his best race. Unfortunately, um, let's say when he bettered with the Gen 2 last year, yeah, it was a completely different beast of a car. Disappointing year for number one. But as Nick made the point, it was when Ian Loggy really started to show what he's worth. But also, I think it was due to a, a dual campaign with GT Open, I believe they raced in, whereby I at least saw what Ian Loggy could really do um, outside of the normal BOP rules the SRO Championship really runs with. You know, he was doing, he was going great guns in that, in, in GT Open. So I feel sure that doing the dual campaign really helped him, you know, score the points that he needed to score in, uh, in, the, in the British GT Championship. Third place in the championship went to the number 75 Optima Motorsport, Aston Martin. Third in the teams for Optimum, but of course you can't deny the fact that they won the Drivers' Championship and that's really what they're there for. Optimum's problem when it came to the team's championship was of course they only had one car and they did pretty, pretty damn well to get as far up the team's title as they did. It's customer racing though, and that means that the team's first responsibility is to deliver results for their customers. Their customer in this case was Flick Haig. They've discharged their duty perfectly because they delivered the driver's title to the person that's paying the bills. 
it was as successful a season as you're going to get as a single car entry in basically a multi-car class. I think Mr. British GT, Johnny Adam, with Flick, helped no end. Obviously, our most successful driver, with Flick, doing her job. They, they had a brilliant season. Apart from the slight hiccup at Alton Park, they finished every round and no lower than fourth, which I can't think of any championship winning car over the last four or five years that have done that, apart from them. Brilliant, brilliant year for them. Flick produced some brilliant performances, especially at Brands Hatch. Her first in that race there, she had to pull a lead. Safety car came out, pulled another lead, to, um, which negated the success penalty for finishing third in the, on the podium at Spa. I think the points that the team scored speak for themselves. If you look at the two uh, teams above them, that car scored more on average than the other let's call it four cars that were scoring for Barwell and, and TF. Given if, if you restricted everything back down to one car a team, then, you know, Optimum should have been there. And it's the fact that they were running a, a one-car campaign in, a, in as, as Nick said, a, essentially a two-car class. They should have been up there. Third place is exactly where you get when they get the kind of results that you do. Going back to Andrew's point about race two at Alton Park... The race director does the best job he can to keep everybody safe. But at the end of the day, his place of work is a chair in an office looking at some TV screens. He doesn't know the condition of the racetrack until something happens, which causes somebody to report to him the condition of the racetrack. Johnny Adam, it was just bad luck. Basically, he came across a GT4 car at just the wrong time when there was just enough standing water and it all went pretty peat tong and there was damage. His bad luck, which was a hundredth of a second, continued then on when he got to the pit lane and they got the car out, but they didn't get the car out in time because of the red flag, which meant that he didn't score any points and points were awarded to the competition. It's... We need to look at race two at Alton Park as, as an aberration. Barwell Motorsport finished second in the team championship with the numbers 3369 and also number two adding to their total points. The number two Barwell car, we need to pretty much discount. It did the first couple of rounds and then went off to a full season in the Blancpain Endurance Championship. The number 33... You always expect good things from John Minshaw and Phil Keane. You don't, to be honest, expect them to walk away with the title. That's just the way things have gone for them. The real revelation in the Barwell team was the number 69. We know that Johnny Cocker is a pretty mean peddler, but Sam DeHaan came out of nowhere. He tested to get his license. He hadn't actually done much real racing before we got into a GT3 car. And it took him a few races to get into the groove, but then it clicked and he was then, he was pretty damn good for the rest of the year. And it showed again in 2019 when he just carried on improving. So again, it was in the 33 of Minshaw and Keane that took up the championship challenge. And again, Phil Keane, Unfortunately, falling short at the end, always the bridesmaids. I think I'm sure I heard Nick say it before. Even, even winning the last race at Donington still wasn't enough this time. The Donington decider, year after year, you expect that the Minshaw and Keane car will get to Donington Park with a chance at the championship. 
and then not mean to be nasty to John Minshaw, he will do something during the course of the race which will cause that chance to disappear. The Donington Decider in 2018, John Minshaw did everything he had to. Him and Phil Keane executed absolutely perfectly. But by then the damage was done. They didn't have the chance to win anymore because Johnny Adam and Flick Haig were doing what they needed to to deprive the Lamborghini of a win. The damage for the Minshaw car was done at Brands Hatch where they had problems. They finished 23rd. Um, which gave them points for last in class. And that, that meant that all they could do was win and hope that Optimum didn't. It is unfortunate for Phil Keane and John Minshew. As I say, Phil Keane deserves a title now. He's got a full factory drive. Again, it's just down to luck again. I mean, they still got, they, they got exactly the same amount of first place, uh, finishes as, as Johnny and Flick did. In the in the seventy five, yeah, just didn't manage to put the put together the rest of the season. Sam, in his first, in his first year of GT three racing, I think I think he did do a few club events to to get his to get his race license up. Um, According to the commentary for Alton Park, the vast majority of his signatures came from doing testing rather than doing racing. Really? Okay. You have to have an international license to race in British GTs. I doubt that'd be right. International C. Yeah, so you wouldn't be able to get that just from testing. No, but you can get yourself up to the right national level to be promoted to international C from testing and then just do and then just do the six races you need for signatures or even five races in a day in a day in an orange jumpsuit. I'm not I'm not, I'm not gonna argue against you, but yeah, I'm just looking at a driver D B and yeah, yeah, and it is Pretty much right here. He's the only other race he entered for other than, other than the British GT was a 2018 Bark Sports and Saloon Car Championship. That's the same year, which came 53rd. What? <laughs> he, only, he only did one race. Yeah, in a catering seven Sigmax. So, Bark Sports and Saloon does have a very large entry, but I didn't think it was 53 cars. Oh, in the sport, oh, that's the championship. He, he, got, he got he scored three points and he, and he became 53rd in, in the championship. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So taking in the win in the team championship was TF Sport with their two Aston Martins, cars numbers 11 and 17. The TF Sport effort was pretty good. In fact, it was damn good. Um, Spa and Donington Park were the only duffers for the for the entire team. They had one retirement for each car. Uh, the number 11, Mark Farmer and Nicky Team. Having Nicky in the car... Brought a lot of attention to the team. He's pretty big on the old social media and the fan following for that car was very strong indeed. The number 17, Derek Johnson, followed uh, or sharing with Marco Sorensen. Very capable effort. The cars debuted the team's new look as well with the dark matte blue with the hexagons all over them. Thought it was a bit odd that they chose to debut the new look on the last year of the old car. I'd have held off for a year, to be honest, but hey, old Tom Ferry is a fairly successful businessman. It was a strong, strong effort. You just, there's not a lot you can do uh, in terms of driver's championship when you're up against that level of talent. All you can do is execute as best to flawlessly as you can. And I say with one retirement each, it 
it doesn't get much better than that. I think it was that, that was Mark Farmer's last decent year. Uh, probably, probably being in combination with Nicky as well. That run of points, you know, should have been, should have got him a little bit further up, but it, overall it was a good effort. It always is from TF, in my opinion. Hopefully we'll see him towards the end, we'll see him towards the top again. Got no reason today why it shouldn't be there. I think this year it's, um, pretty much a foregone conclusion. They're going to be somewhere near the top. I mean, they've got three GT3 and one GT4 champions out of their four drivers. It's a fairly firm bet that they're going to be fighting at the front and really the team's championship this year is TF Sports to lose. Hi, I'm Michael O'Brien, professional racing driver for McLaren, and I'm delighted to be joining the guys on the British GT Fan Show. Go and check them out, and uh, yeah, you won't be disappointed. And be sure to check out British GT Fans on Facebook and Fans of British GT on Instagram and Twitter. For the last few months, the British GT fans page over on Facebook and their social media have been running a bit of a competition to discover the fan favourite cars in both GT3 and GT4 titled the Ultimate GT3 and GT4 and decisions have been reached. So it's over to Andrew and Gaz to let everyone know what they are. So Ultimate GT3, after starting off with 49 cars that have competed in the GT3 class within British GT, we got down to the Aston Martin Vine 312 versus the Bentley Continental Gen 1, Bentley Continental Gen 2, and the BMW Z4. Final car that won was the Aston Martin Vantage, the original Aston Martin Vantage. We we had a sneaky suspicion that we might win, but it did come out with the winner, and it's a, I think majority of people did think that was a good, deserving winner. What do you think, guys? I think it was a, a yeah, it was the correct choice in my opinion. <laughs> um, not being too big a fan of the original Vantage V12, I I can't pick fault with the, the with the Ultimate GT3. It is highly successful, great looking car with decent heritage in 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 GT racing with the with the brand name. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely the correct choice in my opinion for GT3. First of all, I voted for it. Um, and secondly, I don't think really there was there was much of a challenge. The only real challenger to the Aston Martin would have been the Z4, Z4 um, because A, it won a few titles, and B, that noise. Z4's noise. Oh, what a car. I want to see that car again. I, I need to see what another Z4 out on track soon. It just sounded amazing and looked like something out of... Well, I say it looked like something out of Batman. One of them was sponsored by Batman for one race. But I think the, the, the V12 Vantage has been a, a staple of British GT for so many years that it was the, the best car won in that run. Yeah, the Aston Martin Vantage, if you look at the results and how long it had been around for, it was definitely the um, worthy winner of the, of, of the class. And we also did um, the Ultimate GT4. So we had 29 GT4 cars. You try and get down to a winner. We had an all Aston Martin final of the original Vantage, second generation of the Vantage, and then the new version. And they say the latest version came out the winner. Judging by a few comments on Facebook, it was a bit controversial. Nick had an opinion about it as well. Don't I have an opinion? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, As I said 
on the group. I disagree with the collective wisdom of my peers. The new Aston Martin is a great car. It looks good. It sounds good from everybody I've spoken to that, that drives it in terms of its drivability. It is a massive step forward based on the old car, but it's done one season. Okay. It undefeated. It took two championships in that season, but it did one season. Ultimate GT3 car is, is, is greatness in a car and greatness comes over time. The previous generation car had masses of success, looked equally great, sounded beautiful, drove really, really well to multiple championships. My personal vote was for the 2011 version of the, of the previous generation Vantage based on all its success. I don't think that the new car has had the time to prove itself great yet. I, I agree with you. Um, but not, well, oh, I don't know. Do I, don't I? Uh, I don't know. Um, in terms of ultimate GT4, I would have liked to have seen something other than another Aston Martin. It makes, yeah, you know, the old ad, the old adage about the British GT Championship was it was the British Aston Martin GT Championship because there was that many Aston Martins entered and Aston Martin cars won that often. In it, okay, yep, yeah, that proves they were good cars, they were they're reliable, and you know they absolutely were. I would have liked to have seen something else win, maybe the McLaren. You know, it was a, in my opinion, it's a bit of a game changer in the GT4. Everyone has had to up their game to, to come in and, you know, compete against them. They haven't won a, did I can't remember now. Have they won a championship in that, with that car yet? No, they haven't. No, but I, but I think it's, a, I think it's more of a game changer in the, in the category. It brought a lot of GT3 technology down to GT4, didn't it? It did. Yeah. The first GT4 card have center lock wheel nuts. Yeah. The Janetta, I think that's the, I think that's the, that's the car that's taken the most wins in GT4. Yes, we looked no. into it, didn't we? After, we after did. the result, we actually looked into it and the G55 Janetta technically is probably the most, um, successful, successful car. Well, again, being fair. the old being, but, but the whole thing with this ultimate pathing was, it wasn't, it was of their opinion what their, what they thought was the best car was. It wasn't to do anything to do with results. It was their opinion of what, they thought yeah. the best car. Obviously, with the, with the Aston Martin, the newer version being chosen, does suggest there's a lot of newer fans being brought to the championship, and also to which is group. good news. This is a great news, which is why part of the group is to, is to bring new fans to British GT, and the and the new version winning. I think, um, yeah, the fact that it took a championship and it had a TV star in one of the other cars, you know it. As you say, brought it's bringing more new fans are coming in, going ah, hang on, that 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 car there, you know, it's it's won it's won the race, it's won championships. Oh, and this one here has got someone I know from the TV, you know, and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So it's gonna be it's gonna be in the forefront of their mind, and therefore you see it as a good thing in in that case. The 2008 and the 2011 version of the Aston of the Vantage. In their original, because obviously I did, this, this was across multiple poles, starting from the first round. Their first round, they beat all the other cars in their little group quite convincingly. So the Aston Martin Vantage across all three has been yeah. classed as the best car. And that's why we had all the Aston final. 
I bowed to the, the collective. I think really with this, I, I've got to say then, if that's if that's what they if that's what they want, that's what they got. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, um, I just want to say one thing quickly while we're doing this um, about the Ultimate GT, Gaz. Um, I owe you a lot for this because you helped me so much to do Ultimate GT. We went through how many times did we go through the entry lists. <laughs> uh, I. What was it now? We think we went back to 2009 to get the first GT3 classification or something, wasn't it? I think we went, we both went over the entry list about five or six times each to make sure yeah. we got the right cars. Every single round, every year that a GT car, GT3 car has been classified in the British GT Championship. You still, you still missed one of the Porsches in GT. Oh, don't say that. Don't say that. No, no. We caught it when. We caught it when Andrew came to me for for a couple of photos, and I. Yes. Have you looked at the profile? Yes. Or was it the MR? Nick's Nick's after credit as well here. Here, listen to him. Well, actually, no. I was expecting you'd have a go at me for putting more work on you. Uh, uh, So yeah, so Gaz, um, you helped me tremendously. Me, me, my crazy ideas for content for the group. You helped me tremendously with this. I couldn't have done it without you. Um, Well, I dread to think what your reaction was. I said I'm going to do GT4. And I think Nick helped at the end of just you know, a few more extra cars in there. It was, it was great, great team effort by everybody. Thank you very much. And just to warn everybody, I'm, I'm thinking of the next plan for end of the season. So that's it from us for this episode of the British GT Fan Show. We hope you've enjoyed it. Stay tuned for the next episode where we'll be interviewing 2C's Motorsports GT3 driver Angus Fender and we put ourselves on the spot for an Ask Us Anything. So what we want you to do is on the British GT Fans Facebook page or on the BGTF show social media streams, send us your questions to do with GT and endurance racing. It can be anything from why is it GT3, not GT1, to something hideously complex that we're going to have to spend days researching. But get your questions in and Gaz, Andrew, myself and Sarah will get to answering them for you in the next episode of the British GT Fan Show. Thanks for listening to the British GT Fan Show. Remember, the show is for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, redistributed, reproduced or used in any form without permission. For more information or to get in touch, please visit www.bgtfshow.co.uk. Thanks for listening.